everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm Pete Bigelow, your host and reporter at the Automotive News. Coming to you from Las Vegas, where I'm at CES, uh, a ton of automotive technology, as you might expect. Uh, we're going to dive into this software-defined vehicle with two guests today, uh, Bill Pinnell from Qualcomm and Maria Anholt from Electrobit, coming shortly. But first, headlines, and there's a lot of them. Joining me to discuss CES uh, for a few minutes is Jamie Butters, our executive editor. Welcome, Jamie. Hi, Pete. It's oh. my first time on Shift. I'm excited. That's crazy. Uh, hard, hard to think <laughs> about. Well, welcome to Shift, Jamie. Uh, Thanks. Glad to have you here today. Major takeaways from CES here. I'm shocked at the amount of hydrogen news coming mm. out of CES. Two months ago, I would have never, never <laughs> guessed that CES is a hydrogen show. Bosch, Packard, Hyundai, last but not least, Ford yeah. Via, the list goes on. Yeah. I mean, Hyundai was interesting. Uh, you know, they talked a lot about hydrogen production, uh, being able to uh, you know, produce hydrogen from, from non-recyclable plastic, uh, from, you know, animal manure and food waste and other, you know, garbage like that. Um, and then also trying to harness all the resources of the whole Hyundai group to reduce the cost of electrolysis, which is, you know, when you separate hydrogen and oxygen uh, in, the, in water uh, and it's really cool stuff. And then I uh, got to ask uh, the executive chairman, you know, so you, you guys are going to do this, you know, the whole value chain. And he said, no, <laughs> He's like, we're really going to focus on the fuel cell vehicles. Uh, I think they're, they're trying to support you know, the production, the storage and the distribution. Uh, they want a whole ecosystem. They need it for green steel, which is, you know, steel is another big part of the Hyundai uh, business. But uh, as the Hyundai automotive, Hyundai motor, they're going to focus on fuel cell vehicles primarily. Big difference between hydrogen and green hydrogen, and we're about 1% of the way there. And I think that's where the, the rubber meets the road in terms of what, what this future looks like is, is hydrogen as a viable green energy source. And that's why it is so important to make sure that the technologies are developed and can be commercialized to get the hydrogen from things that are otherwise a problem, right? If you can have a, I hate, I hate the term win-win, uh, because I feel like you know most most transactions should be win-win, <laughs> but the idea that you can reduce you know the garbage in the atmosphere or in the ocean and then actually get fuel from it um, that's pretty exciting. Uh, a, a long uh, a long road ahead to get there. For sure. Let's turn real quick from the energy side of things to the software side of things. I don't think you can walk three feet here in West Hall uh, without hearing the phrase software-defined vehicle. Yeah. Uh, what's caught your eye so far in that realm? Uh, what challenges do you see on bringing that to the market? So here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a finance major, right, and a, and a journalist. And I, I, I know a little about computers, but I, I've always struggled with, like, what really is the software-defined vehicle? So it isn't so much what caught my eye, but what caught my ear. Uh, I was at the Continental uh, stand, and they had a, had a press conference and briefing. And uh, one, of their, one of their actual uh, award honorees from CES was um, a, a parking assist system that didn't need ultrasonic sensors. You could just, with a, a better antenna, you could use the radars that are already built in and a low-end camera and use less hardware and still get the job done. And uh, Nikolai Setzer, the CEO of Continental Automotive, he said to me, reduce what you have in terms of hardware and make it smarter. He said, that's basically the essence of the software-defined vehicle. And I, I finally, like, something clicked for me <laughs> in that. 
We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive on software-defined vehicles with our guests here coming up in, a, in just a minute or two. But uh, maybe one last question for you, Jamie, would be: uh, what, What's your major takeaway from CES? What What's the thing we have not talked about that really caught your attention? Well, <laughs> you know, the one thing that was so interesting, right, is that so so many of the largest automakers aren't here. You know, GM, Ford, Stellantis, Toyota. Um, I think they'll be back. I think it's probably a, a product cadence sort of thing, or a, you know, uh, maybe some economic concerns, but I think it's more about their product cadence. I think they'll be back. But the, the one of the big ones that was here was uh, Honda. They showed some, I thought, pretty far out concept cars. I uh, thought they looked a little ridiculous, uh, at least in the pictures. Uh, but, you know, seeing them in person, they looked a little sharper. And more importantly, I mean, I, I appreciate the effort to do a concept car that doesn't just look like everything already on the road. Uh, and so, and the other thing is what it, what's important about it isn't just, okay, maybe Honda's gonna do something a little different and Honda, but it's that, you know, the Honda's new CEO, Toshihiro Mibe, was an engine engineer. He was a powertrain guy from the gasoline era, uh, trying to get, you know, more power, more horsepower, cleaner power out of gas burning engines. He became CEO and he has completely refocused the company on a zero emission future. Uh, like I said, 30 EVs by 2030, they are no longer gonna rely on General Motors uh, to bring their EVs to market and their aim is to be 100% EV by 2040. Seems really ambitious, they're gonna need some lower cost batteries and all that, but you can see Honda refocusing itself and its strategy is kind of playing out here at CES. Well, segueing from Honda to the Sony-Honda joint venture, mm. uh, they showed a concept that Electrobit, the software company, has a, a ton of technology on, a ton of input on and influence on. And that's a great segue to our first guest to discuss about the software-defined vehicle today, a uh, conversation with Maria Anhalt, CEO of Electrobit. Maria, thanks so much for making some time here at CES to join us, and welcome back to the Shift Podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm very well, and thank you for having me here. Glad to be here again. Great. Uh, for those who don't know, real quick, let's set the stage. What is Electrobit? Uh, what, what do you do in the auto industry? Electrobit is a software company, system and software company, 4,000 engineers. We exist in 35 years. In fact, last year we had our birthday, 35 years. Software for the mobility space, we do products and services and we serve anyone who is doing mobility. The large established OEMs, the startups in the US, in China, and also the tech companies like the Googles, the Amazons, the Sonys, and the others. Big news from Electrobit this week uh, and from the Sony-Honda joint venture. Uh, they have unveiled the latest iteration of the Afila. What is Electrobit's role on the Afila in particular? So we are the software enabling factor for Sony originally when they built the version S prototype, how they entered the automotive space. So we developed with them the user experience use cases, the workflows. We developed the software platform, the APIs, the integration in the ecosystem, and also the HMI, the human machine interface, the IVI. And we are working very closely with other partners like Epic Games, um, or um, um, uh, others to, to make the whole experience uh, nice. And Sony is, uh, Sony Honda, 
mobility prototype of Fila is probably the best example how a software-defined vehicle works. Start from the software side, from the user experience, separate the software from the hardware. Very emotional, very human experience. If you have not been there or anyone, try it out. Very nicely done. And we were able to do this within two years, three years to put the car on the street. That sounds like a pretty fast period of time by traditional automotive standards. What is the role of the software-defined vehicle in speeding up that time frame? What does that allow you to do uh, over time on the same car? Can you update the car? Will, will the personalization and customization increase over time? So traditionally, people have started with the hardware piece and software came on a level four somewhere. On the software divine car, you start with the software side and define from the software so that potentially any function in the car, in the vehicle, is configurable and can be updated later. So this is a big uh, difference. And the speed in, in the FILA uh, case came from um, maybe the aspect of the def software defined approach, but also being open to collaborate across the industry. We are bringing the automotive experience, how to do software in the car industry. Sony is bringing electronic consumer and user consumer experience for usability. I've grown up with a Walkman, my kids are PlayStation fans, they know how to do human behaviors. And this collaboration um, inspires and creates new ideas and speeds up a lot of the development. And then agile approach, working in sprints, we had a common vision where we want to go and every month Everyone together has been doing, uh, looking at how that works, new ideas, new requirements, changes, and we move. It's not like a written document with 400 pages. You do it, you test it at the end. It's an iterative approach. And even now, just um, we had a press conference and behind the doors, we started thinking about the next things, what is coming next and what are you going to do and how we prototype. It's a continuous approach. What's coming next? What did you guys come up with behind <laughs> the closed door? Well, uh, now what, what is the most exciting news on the field side is artificial intelligence. So there is a lot on the AI side, specifically for ADAS. This is what they announced. And we are also looking now into augmented reality and working very closely how to integrate augmented reality into the cockpit. I'm curious, there's obviously a lot of companies here talking about software-defined vehicles. It's like the buzzword phrase of CES in a lot of ways. Uh, what differentiates Electrobit from others? And to your point, you've been working on this for, for a lot longer than others. So what was it perhaps that you and others saw uh, before others did and, and what differentiates you today? So we are a technology company. We are a software company. We breathe and love uh, software. We offer products and services. And why is this important? So typically, companies do only products, and they will need an implementer to go implement it. Yeah? Services companies will do whatever the customer wants. We do both. And with this experience, First, it's a competitive advantage for many customers that we can do both and best implement our products. But what we see is we recognize patterns, things that multiple people, customers are experimenting and can extract it, make a product out of this, a reusable component, 
And with that, we are more competitively priced and more quicker to deploy things. Another thing that differentiates us from others is we have 35 years of experience and we are known for getting things done, not just researching. So our software is in two thirds of all cars, all vehicles on the, on the planet. But at the same time, having the power, the creativity, the passions to do lots of industry first, first time something. Not every year, but every few years we do something for the first time. And this intersection between knowing how to get things work on the road, but also being very creative differentiates us uh, from, uh, from others. Do you see the auto industry and or electrobit moving more and more toward open source? I wish this trend would accelerate. I spent most of my career, 20 years, with the high-tech industry where open source is de facto also a standard. I believe in open source. People in the automotive domain are more skeptical about open source and there are prejudices, right? Okay, nobody cares about this. What is the quality? Is it for free? Um, and the truth is, it's not for free. You can use it for free, but once it's in production, you pay for the maintenance. And the other truth is, it's a very high quality standard because it's used across industry for multiple years. Probably the best example is, is, is Linux and Linux. And people have been trying uh, to do it uh, on, um, in automotive space, but everyone started to do an own Linux derivative, which is not the idea of open source. So when I came to Electrobit uh, three years, so already three years, I realized we had an own Linux derivative and I stopped it. I said, no, we're not doing this. And why do you believe we cannot do this? No, we can do anything, but we shall concentrate on the things that differentiate us to move quickly. So we took one of the industry standards. We are with Ubuntu from Canonical, one of the largest embedded Linux um, providers, they work also with Tesla. And what we did is we took the enterprise version and did it automot automotive ready. We tested it for aut all automotive use cases. We fixed all the defects. We uploaded everything in the open source. We reduced the package 75%. Everything that you don't need for the automotive, we skipped it and we provide support for 10 years. Nobody does it in the automotive space. So it's a very strong thing that we did last year. And what we are working right now, we're expecting certification at any point at the moment is from the German authorities, from the two for the safety. And if we do this, it will be a terrific thing for the automotive space because you have a open source system, operating system, wildly acceptable, talent, you can graduates from the university, it's not a proprietary system, you can use it, it's very lightweight, very rich set of functionality and scales very well. So I'm very excited if we can open up the ecosystem so that everyone can benefit of things that exist in the technology, use it and move much faster. Maria, final question for you here. Uh, in your CES experience so far, what have you seen beyond Electrobits, if anything, if you've gotten out of your booth, uh, what trends or, or anything uh, has caught your eye among everything here that's, that's been unveiled or on display? So one big trend that I'm seeing is that um, 
everyone starts now really to speak about collaboration and reuse. This is something that was not existing four years ago. In fact, I remember quite some statements from large OEMs saying we own it, everything, and we insource everything, we'll do it on our own. Now you see more and more announcements for collaborations uh, reaching, uh, reaching hand. There are a lot of um, Sophie Eclipse foundations that are being called, so you, you can see it here on the, at the CES. And the other thing that I'm seeing is the merging of industry, entertainment industry with automotive. You see um, aero taxis, so like three-dimensional aviation with automotive. I think this is a trend that is going to come. It's really interesting. I wrote about the latter one today. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, uh, I, I believe this, is, this, this will come. Does Electrobit work beyond the auto industry? Yes, we uh, we have a lot of requests from uh, trains. That's very like the ICE in Germany or Shikansen in uh, in, in Japan. Uh, drones. We serve drones with Argus, our subsidiary on the uh, uh, cybersecurity side. Quite uh, interesting uh, business. We also have. Um, a software on the moon, on the space shuttle, and not just researching, it's up there. So anything mobility, we do software. We do not advertise everything, but uh, we serve the entire industry. That's a good reminder at the end. <laughs> Maria, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been great to have you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Big thanks to Maria for making the time here during a busy CES. We're going to transition now to my next interview in this special two-guest edition of Shift from Las Vegas. Uh, I think a lot of people know Qualcomm primarily for semiconductors and wireless technology, but the company has a massive, ever-growing presence in the automotive industry across a lot of different verticals, uh, but that certainly includes software and software-defined vehicles. So let's roll right into my next interview Please welcome to the podcast, Qualcomm Vice President and Head of Automotive Software Product Management, Bill Pinnell. Bill, welcome to the Shift Podcast. It's great to have you here today. Nice to see you, Pete. Likewise. There's a lot of excitement here at CES about the software-defined vehicle. I can't, can't walk from here to the next stand without seeing it somewhere, hearing it. Uh, we've heard about software-defined vehicles for a long time. Why, why is it a front-burner topic here in 2024? I, I think that the main reason that we're seeing a lot of excitement around SDV at this show is that um, before, like IAA and also particular companies have been working on SDV and talking about SDV for a couple of years, there hasn't actually been any practical demonstration. So people haven't really been able to look past what is like slideware and concepts and actually see, okay, what does this actually mean for me as, a, as an OEM or a tier one, or in fact, you know, as looking through the eyes of the consumer. That's interesting because I feel like one of the themes of this show overall, even beyond software defined vehicles, is that there's a, a maturity to the product we're seeing. It's near market, it's entering the market. It's not, here's something we're going to do in the future. Yeah, so I think uh, people are like, so consolidation, this is the progress we're making. This is actually one of the things that Qualcomm is, is um, being messaging from our side, is that you know, we have fantastic business, which we're very, very, uh, you know, very fortunate to have with many, many customers. It's about the maturity, about real stuff rather than vapor stuff. So um, you know, I think that's a, 
and that's also true for like Gen AI. So Gen AI is like interesting at the show because everybody's it's a buzz, but I think people are actually showing it being used, and that's people are like okay, this this really can actually get into a product or get into a, uh, a solution for a customer. Bill, I've heard you talk about how the software-defined vehicle is is something more than the feature that we see, and I feel like that's kind of how a lot of people, and maybe me, tend to think about software-defined vehicles in the in the industry. But this is this is something more of a philosophy. Yeah, I mean, if we take a step back, what do we really mean by software-defined vehicle? For me, it starts with you know, it, it's what what it says on the words, right? You define what you're going to do in the vehicle by software that you want to run in the vehicle in the future, right? Well, in the future for startup production, but also this isn't just about startup production. This is something that you want to support for seven, ten years going forward. So one of the key principles of software-defined vehicle for me is that it, you need the OEMs want this because they know the customers want a fresh modern, something that keeps up with the rest of consumer electronics, you know, which is why we're here at the CES, right? Because the whole point of automotive coming into CES was people wanted more of a consumer electronic experience in their car. So that's why Qualcomm got into it in 2015 when we started doing, utilizing all the experience we'd had building phones with the latest, greatest, you know, whatever operating system was, you know, primarily Android, and they wanted that experience in the car. So that's how it all started. So, you know, that's how software came in, but it was still software on top of a hardware-defined vehicle experience. So people were like, okay, what chip do I need? I'll put that in, and then I'll, like, figure out what software I'm going to do. This is turning it around. Software-defined vehicle is, hang on a second, I need to know that I'm going to have the latest, greatest software experience, features, user experience, whatever it is, Gen AI, if it's coming. And therefore, if I start with that future vision and an idea of what I need in the future, then I can develop my chip, my hardware, my you know e architecture to use the terminology of the automakers, right? So, you know, that's so it's reversing the traditional model, and that's not just about the the chips and the and the hardware. It's also about how you develop software. So I think that's what you're going on to, Pete. That would, that would so, be my next. Uh, yeah, that that's perfect segue into. To continuing that. So, in terms of you know, when I say methodology, what do I mean? So, if you're going to do really complicated software experiences in vehicles, and I think people talk about the you know number of lines of code that it's like ten times or twenty times the nine the number of code that's in a Boeing you know triple seven, right? Um, so it's there's a lot of tens of millions of lines of code or hundreds even. So if you've got that sort of software that you need to do, and you need to keep it fresh, and you need to add on the latest version of Amazon or Android or whatever it is that the, you know, we, the consumer and the OEM want to, want to do, then you need a, a different um, software design and development methodology. Now, in the rest of the industry, particularly in cloud, this is not new. So what we call cloud-native development, doing... Um, you know, cloud development, people writing code that runs in the cloud, that's microservices, SOA. These are all very, very uh, established principles. Now we're seeing that come into automotive. So we've got, right, I want to develop, I don't want to have to use a particular hardware board like for my developer. Like how many hardware boards do I need to buy for my 200 developers? No, 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 no. I want thousands of developers that I can go to they're going to be developing in the cloud. They're going to be using modern containerized technology, uh, you know, like an open container initiative, 
container that's going to run either infotainment or digital cockpit or even ADAS functionality now can be containerized and run in these high-performance compute platforms that software-defined vehicle is really designed for. So, um, I mean, one of, the, one of the things I was going to make it more tangible is how does, that, how does that actually take place? So one of the things we do with OEMs and uh, Tier 1s and other software suppliers, we work in what's called a software factory. What the so, heck's, what the heck's a software factory, Bill? Um, there's no smokestacks or anything like that. Um, so a software factory is basically a, a collaborative model that you set up uh, many parties that can basically take code from multiple suppliers, from traditional tier ones or modern ODMs that are going to be building hardware, as well as the OEM, because the OEM has like got their signature applications or secret source that they want to bring into their car. And instead of having the traditional sort of model where you'd have a hierarchy of tiers, tier three supplying software to a tier two, to supplying software to a tier one, and hardware along the way as well, and then the tier one working with the OEM. And that model worked for the sort of lower complexity that we've had in you know 15 years. But now, if you've got all these bits of software coming from with hundreds of millions of lines of code, then you need to all work together. And that sort of sounds very kumbaya, and, but it's, it's really, it's a, uh, it's a model where when you push something into the software factory, you're using agile methodology, so you're doing you know, product increment sprints, doing user stories, you're demoing the code to the different suppliers and management within the OEM. You're showing, for instance, the latest HMI feature. You know, it could be something like a, a new augmented reality feature that you've got on your HUD that you want to show off to the management team and you basically have worked on your user story, the product team have developed it, they haven't completely fleshed it out, but you demo it on this day and the management say, no, we, we think that we need that to be over here or change this or do whatever, and the teams will work together to make that happen. But there's dependencies on different suppliers. You don't have to maybe be um, responsible for someone else's code working, because that wouldn't really be, uh, that would be a, a lot of work but you have an established, this starts to sound a little bit boring, but you have a test and design methodology of test plans where you're responsible for my API works, I've proved it works, therefore when I test it with someone else's, if it doesn't work, then there must be something wrong with them, and you all work together in collaboration. I'm curious, so the auto industry has talked a good game about software for a few years now, and, and in fact given us this software-defined vehicle phrase that we, we've already talked about, why have traditional automakers kind of across the board really struggled to implement what you just laid out? Um, I, I, think, I think there's quite a high uh, setup cost, right? There's a lot of new technology that you need to bring in. Code collaboration, um, modern tooling, modern software collaboration, uh, test and design methodologies, um, automation in test is super important. Uh, but also, going back to one of the things I said earlier, I talked about you know, moving away from this sort of old-fashioned way of I'm going to develop on a hardware board, maybe it's a beta, and then I go for my particular milestone where I get a, you know, a, an upgrade to the board, and then I finally get in on a bench, and then I finally get in on a car. I mean, I've, I've got loads of roadmaps from OEMs with all these very standardized milestones. 
And that doesn't work with this level of software complexity with all these suppliers. Uh, the hardware and the benches and whatever become a choke point. So one of the other key points of software-defined vehicle is can I do more development in the cloud and actually run it and test it in the cloud? So this brings in what we call virtual platform. And I know this is a buzzword, a buzz phrase, uh, but it is a real thing, it's digital twin. So it's being able to run something in the cloud and then being able to develop it there, optimize it there. Now this is not one size fits all. So depending on the fidelity of the model, you could be doing different things with your virtual platform. I could be developing algorithms that show like an improvement in my, um, you know, we're showing a demo with uh, AEB, so automatic emergency braking. So we basically enable automatic emergency braking in an algorithm on our perception stack, and we run that in a virtual model on the cloud, and, uh, and then we then can optimize it and then push it down to a device. So in the, in, the, in the real world SDV model, you would have thousands of people working at scale to do optimization of algorithms, and you'd be doing regression testing and analysis, and then it gets pushed down to vehicles continually. So that's, you know, it's, you know, it's not just for Christmas, right? You've got this long view that you want to keep software fresh and optimized and improving over time as much as possible. We just hit on the digital twin a little bit. I'm curious, what else is Qualcomm doing here in the software-defined vehicle space? Okay, so uh, we're working in you know, what we call, we have a data factory, which is like software factory, but it's, it's uh, looking at the reprocessing of data from video sources, so you basically have your drive data. You could actually also have simulated drive data, which you push into a virtual, virtualized model of your uh, SOC that's running, for instance, Perception, and you you test how good it is against those driving scenarios. So you look at your object detection and see what your delta is between the optimal, and then you can tweak your AI algorithms and computer vision stack and algos, and you improve it over time. And you do that continually with new drive data coming in. So that's data factory, which is part of software-defined vehicle. And then you have general coding, so code collaboration. So we have the ability to have teams around the world working with OEMs in a software factory, and there's OEMs that are doing this today, um, where because you've got them uh, in a virtualized environment, they can run something un under what we call QMU, which is Quick Emulator. So you can do a QMU version of your Linux HMI and put in a new feature, like I said earlier, and then show it to people, test it, and then download it. So we take part in those uh, product increment and sprints uh, and reviews with our OEMs each month. So we're like part of that supply, and there's other suppliers also online for all those uh, user story and sprint planning every, every month. So for me, coming from a software background, this is the automotive industry catching up with um, what's been done in, in modern software development for, for many years. So it's, but it's great to see it in automotive. And I can tell that you're very legitimately excited about this uh, that it long might be evolution. Too much coffee this morning. <laughs> uh, final question for you. Uh, whether it's software-defined vehicle-related or something beyond, though, what else have you seen here at CES that's, that's interesting to you? What are your takeaways from the show? Well, I haven't managed to venture very far from, from our booth. Uh, I have quite a few slammed, slammed by meetings uh, here, uh, which is a great, great problem to have. <laughs> Thank you to all my customers uh, and partners. Uh, there is um, quite 
I'm biased. I'm, there's a lot of customers and partners here showing off Qualcomm Silicon in digital cockpit designs. There's also a few partners showing off um, solutions for cloud-native development. So, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were very happy to collaborate with AWS. So there's a blog piece that uh, I think we could probably link to, which shows some of the software-defined vehicle online cloud development and this use case I talked about immensely uh, breaking you know that we use as an example for not just digital cockpit in the cloud but also ADAS functionality that could be uh, worked on in the cloud and there's other partners as well here uh, that you know we can supply some links to uh, if you if you want and then we can you know steer people towards that we're happy to do that uh, well thank you so much for uh, stopping by the booth here today here at CES to uh, to talk about software-defined vehicles. Great to have you on the podcast. Very, very happy to be with you today, Pete. Thanks very much. All right. That is a wrap from Las Vegas. You know, for years, I've used the abbreviation SDV as a stand-in for self-driving vehicles. There's a little less of that at CES this year with some noted exceptions. But now, certainly taking center stage as an SDV, the enter the software-defined vehicle. It's going to be a major topic for the auto industry and the Shift podcast going forward. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a review. Subscribe at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to Maria and Bill again for making the time. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week 